Hello, everyone, and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex, and this week it's pink on pink on pink on pink on pink. Pink all the way down because we are exploring the lanky, sometimes tacky beauty of flamingos and the sticky, chewy history of bubblegum. So, Clear your front lawns for some new ornaments and loosen up that jaw. It's time for flamingos and bubblegum. Flamingos are known for their bright pink feathers, curved black bills, and long straight legs. But that's not a look they're born with. Instead, baby flamingos sport puffy white or gray feathers, a straight red bill, and swollen short legs. A few days after birth, a chick's legs start to lose that swelling. At around 11 weeks, the chicks begin to grow flight feathers and their bills begin to curve. But it takes another two or three years for the birds to gain their distinctive pink color. But it's not because the pink is a result of maturation. It's all thanks to their diet. Flamingos turn pink because of beta-carotene. Beta-carotene is a red-orange pigment found in fungi, plants, fruits, and the crustaceans and plankton that happen to make up the bulk of a flamingo's diet. After years of consuming high levels of the pigment, a flamingo's feathers start to take on the hue. If a flamingo doesn't get its typical intake of beta-carotene, it'll start to lose the pink coloring, slowly fading to white. Flamingos are very social birds often living in colonies of hundreds or even thousands. And we all know it takes a little flamingo hanky-panky to get numbers that large. But flamingos don't have regular mating seasons like other species of birds. Instead, they wait until water levels and food availability of the wetlands is prime. And then they get to dancing. Dozens or even hundreds of flamingos participate in mating practices at once, and this involves busting out some sick moves. It usually starts with the head flag. Flamingos stretch their heads, wave back and forth, and call out to prospective mates. Then, the dancers might extend their wings to show off the black feathers hiding underneath the pink plumage, called a wing salute, followed by pointing the black feathers toward the sky, the inverted wing salute. There's also the twist preen, where a flamingo will twist its head beneath its wing, the wing leg stretch, where a flamingo will stretch a wing and leg on one side of its body, and marching, quick synchronized steps performed with other flamingos tightly clustered together. These dance moves aren't the only thing flamingos do to woo a mate. A flamingo's tail has glands used to spread pigment-rich oil on its feathers and bill. During mating season, flamingos will apply more of the oil in hopes to appear even more drop-dead pink to a mate. Once a flamingo chooses a mate, which ironically might not be because of the dance moves at all, it typically enters into a monogamous bird relationship. For a while, at least. The birds will stay faithful to their mate through the nest building and egg incubating period, but usually will find a new mate the next time conditions are right to produce more chicks. In the United States, flamingos are only sometimes found in Florida and along the Gulf Coast. But another, much more artificial version of the bird was once more common. 
Originally designed in 1957 by Don Featherstone in Leominster, Massachusetts, dubbed the Plastics Capital of the World, the plastic pink flamingo lawn ornament was born out of a post-World War II desire for individuality. Subdivision housing was often cookie-cutter by design, so wanting to stick out from the crowd in a tropically delightful way, homeowners would place plastic pink flamingos in their lawns. Hippies of the Woodstock era, more concerned with nature than shtick, brought the pink flamingo craze to an unfashionable end. What was once elegant was now tacky. But then, pink flamingos ascended to ironic jabs at lowbrow, thanks to artists such as Andy Warhol and Klaus Oldenburg. By the mid-80s, the plastic pink flamingo was a full-on in-joke of the upper class. As Smithsonian Magazine put it, the bird became a sort of plastic punchline and, at worst, a way of hinting at one's own good taste by reveling in the bad taste of others. The plastic pink flamingo might not be the cultural icon it once was, but another type of pink plasticky material has definitely stood the test of time. Get those chompers ready, it's bubblegum time. There were some attempts to create bubblegum in the late 1800s and early 1900s, but those gums were too wet and broke apart before the chewer could blow a bubble. Then, a man named Walter Deemer cracked the bubble code in 1928. Deemer, an accountant for the Fleer Chewing Gum Company, experimented with chewing gum recipes as a hobby. After a year of failed concoctions, Deemer created a batch of gum that was more flexible but less sticky than other gums of the time. The structure allowed for easier bubble blowing, but Deemer lost the recipe the day after creating the first successful batch. It took him four more months to replicate the gum. Deemer is also responsible for the classic pink coloring of bubblegum, but it wasn't quite a calculated choice. Pink was the only color available at the Fleer Chewing Gum Company he could get his hands on. So, pink it was. And pink it is. Deemer took 100 samples of his creation to a local store where he sold it for a penny apiece. It sold out in one day. Fleer named the gum Double Bubble, and to entice sales, Deemer personally taught salespeople how to blow bubbles so the technique could be passed along to the consumer. In its first year on the market, Double Bubble broke $1.5 million in sales, and the bubble hasn't burst since. Deemer might have created bubblegum as we know it, but people have been chomping away on sticky gums for a long, long time. The ancient Greeks chewed on the resin of mastic trees, and the Mayans chewed on the sap from the sapodilla tree. These substances, although geographically disparate, have something in common. Polymers. The saps have long chains of molecules that stretch out when pulled, making them excellent candidates for chewing gum. These natural polymers were actually used in commercial bubblegum manufacturing for some time, but chemists discovered how to properly use synthetic plastics and rubbers in gum after World War II. Bye-bye, tree sap. Gum companies keep their main gum base close to their vest, but some of these modern ingredients can include polyethylene, a common plastic that takes on a lot of different forms, such as hula hoops, glue, and even the lining of car tires. Not that you're chewing exactly that type of plastic when you pop a piece of gum into your mouth. 
The warmth of your mouth helps soften the gum, and chewing helps separate out the coloring and sugar while aligning the long chains of molecules in the gum base. Chew for a while, long enough to rid the gum of any flavor, and you have the prime conditions for bubble blowing. Gum bases actually don't break down in your stomach. The playground was right about that one, but they do travel through the digestive system just fine, so no worries of a seven-year wad of gum sticking around in your body. Baseball cards and bubblegum were closely linked for a long time, but only after the cards had a much different pack-in. Cigarettes. In the 1880s, baseball cards served a dual purpose. To entice consumers to buy smokes, and to provide a stiff backing for the smokes themselves. But it quickly became apparent that the cards weren't wooing adults. They were wooing kids. Thanks to tobacco regulations, paper rations during World War I, and pushback from some players who didn't think it was appropriate to include their cards in the cigarette packs, most companies started including baseball cards in more family-friendly treats. Fleer, remember them? started including baseball cards in their gum to compete with a bubblegum rival in the early 1930s. A couple decades later, in 1951, Topps decided to get into the treat game by packing its cards with taffy instead of gum. It didn't work. The packed-in taffy tasted like the cards varnish. The company switched to bubblegum a year later. Bubblegum remained a staple in baseball card packs for 40 more years, but in 1991, serious card collectors complained that the gum sometimes stained the cards, removing their value. So, the bubblegum was removed. And even though there have been a few attempts at reintroducing the pack-in treat, it just hasn't... stuck? And there you have it. The natural beauty of flamingos, the plastic silliness of their lawn ornament counterparts, and the sticky, bubbly, chewy gum that shares their color. Thanks for listening. Until the next Six Pack of Facts, as always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.